you want victory, you can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. Folks, one of my favorite times of year is the summer, and I know it's not summer anymore, but every summer we have Camp Arrowwood here at Wears Valley Ranch, and kids come from all over for a life-changing week. This summer, the messages were drawn from the book that I did some years ago, Three Questions. I hope you're going to enjoy hearing what I got to share with the campers. When I was growing up, there were certain questions that uh, I noticed people asked that they didn't necessarily want uh, a thorough answer to. Questions like, um, hey, how are you? Um, Basically, it's just polite in our culture to ask a question like that when we see people. Even if we've seen them recently, it's, hey, how are you? Hey, hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? But the expectation is that it's pretty much a rhetorical question. Everyone is supposed to say one word in response. Fine. Then if you'd like to be more social, you can say, how are you? And the other person is supposed to say, fine, good, good. And that's the way it goes. It's a question that we ask, and we don't generally mind being asked. What we mind is if someone really answers. If we say, hey, how are you? And they say, oh, it's really terrible. Let me tell you what happened. We're like, oh, I was actually going somewhere. I'm I'm really not interested. So it's only in certain relationships where we really have the freedom to ask questions like that in a meaningful way and give meaningful answers. We used to joke when I was a kid that my parents were so predictable in their response as to how they were doing, even if you said, you know, really, how, how are you? Because you really did want to know, because they're your parents and you really care, you love them. Um, if, if you asked my dad, he was likely to tell you about what was wrong. Um, now, he wasn't just a complainer, but, but he always felt that he had some sort of physical ailment. He was a bit of a hypochondriac, as I am, so I can sympathize. And, uh, and there was always, you know, something. I mean, he didn't complain unless you asked. But if, if you really want to know, then he can tell you about this or that or the other. It was wrong. We used to joke that on his tombstone, it would say, I told you I was sick. <laughs> and uh, and my, my mom was just the exact opposite. Whatever was going on, her answer was, oh, I'm fine. Really, I'm fine. I mean, if mom's arm had fallen off, she would have said, oh, I've got another. (laughs) I'm fine. Really, I'm fine. And so we said that was going to be on her tombstone. We didn't put those on either of my parents' tombstones. Dad died at 87 and a half, mother at 99. So I think she was right. They were fine. 
But there were some questions that I liked being asked. Um, I, I loved it on those special occasions when my parents, instead of just anticipating that I would do my chores, said, what would you like to do today? Oh, really? I, I get to decide? I love being asked what I'd like to do today because I would normally like to do something other than what I'm normally having to do. So that was a question I liked. Another question that I liked was, what would you like for your birthday? Or, what would you like for Christmas? Or, it is your birthday today, so what would you like for breakfast? I wanted Swedish pancakes. I mean, basically they're crepes, but we thought of them as Swedish pancakes because they were exotic. And my mother was of Norwegian ancestry, both her parents born there. So I, I figured, you know, that was the deluxe breakfast. And it was. Mother made delicious pancakes. And I'm telling you, most of my favorite questions from childhood had to do with what I would like to eat, because I really like to eat. So, you know, what, what would you like for dinner? What would you like for breakfast? What would you like for lunch? That was the question I enjoyed. There were three questions that I really didn't like. Three questions that were rhetorical questions. You were not supposed to answer the question. You were supposed to realize from the fact that the question was being asked that you had messed up. Those three questions that I hated to hear were, who do you think you are? Okay, well that means obviously I'm in trouble. I've said or done something that would indicate that my opinion of myself is not shared by others. Okay? Who do you think you are? Didn't like that question. Second question that I really didn't like to hear is, where do you think you're going? That meant I wasn't. <laughs> okay? If you get that question asked, it means that whatever you were planning and wherever you were going is not going to happen right now. Third question that I did not like was, what do you think you're doing? Also asked is, what do you think you're doing? In either case, it was not a good thing. I did not like that question. But as I got a little older, I discovered that those three questions are three of the most important questions in life. Who do you think you are? That's the question of your identity. Who are you? Who do you think you are? The second question is the question of destiny. Where do you think you're going? And the third question is the question of vocation. What do you think you're doing? Now, if you get the first question right, who do you think you are? Then building on that, you're given the answer to the second question. Where do you think you're going? And in light of who you are and where you're going, you can have a sense of God's call on your life. What do you think you're doing? But we need to look at these questions.
So we're going to begin today with the first one. Who do you think you are? Folks, it's a great privilege for me to be able to come each evening and bring God's Word on these stations, and I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to do that. But if you listen regularly, you know that my life day-to-day is involved in trying to minister to kids who come from very difficult situations. I want to ask you to help us. Contact us at wvr.org and find out how you can be a part of the miracle. That's wvr.org. Please help us help these children. To step out of my comfort zone Into the realm of the unknown Where Jesus is And is holding out his hand When people are asked at dinner parties, this is adults, I mean, kids, it's different, we'll get to you in a moment. Um, when people as adults are asked, you know, so, who are you? Oftentimes, men will respond with what they do for a living, Okay? Uh, well, I'm, I'm a dentist, I'm uh, a truck driver, I'm a carpenter, I'm an electrician, I'm whatever. And the problem with that is if you define yourself by what you do for a living and you lose your job, or you get old like me and eventually you retire, then when I visit my friends in Florida, they often stand around talking about who they were. I was uh, a doctor. I was this. I was, and you have what's called a has-been. They define their identity in terms of what they did, and now they don't, so they aren't anybody. They're a former person waiting in heaven's waiting room, Florida. They're not all going to heaven, I can tell you that. But here's the thing, what you believe about who you are is going to determine how you live, but it doesn't really determine who you are. Suppose that I, in this age of everyone getting to self-identify as this or that, suppose I stand here before you and tell you that I am the President of the United States. Does that make me the President of the United States? Of course not. If I stand here and I tell you that I am a six foot four WNBA champion, for those of you who are saying, did he mean NBA? No, I said WNBA. Are you going to argue with my truth? Well, it's not truth, it's crazy. The fact that I self-identify as something I'm not doesn't make me who I pretend I am. So I'm not six foot four, and I'm not a woman, and I'm not really a champion at basketball in any league. So who do you think you are? If we want to have an honest, legitimate answer, we need to see what God says about who we are. Because God doesn't define our identity on the basis of what we think about it. And I'll give you one of the more surprising examples of that from the New Testament when Jesus is talking to a group of very religious people. And Jesus said to them in John 8, 
42 and following. This is God's word. If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Hey, uh, Pastor Wood, that's the uh, first day of camp. I think we ought to have kind of an upbeat uh, message. That didn't sound very upbeat. Oh, it's going to get better. But I want you to understand there are some very religious people who think that they are children of God. And Jesus says, no, actually, you are children of your father, the devil. Not everybody's a child of God? No, actually not. Well, who are you to say that? I'm not making it up. That's what Jesus said. If you don't like it, take it up with him. So, um, some people are children of the devil? Yes, that's what Jesus says. Well, how can I make sure that I'm a child of God? I'm so glad you asked that question. The Bible tells us that God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And that Jesus conquered death, rose from the grave. We sang about it this morning. That's when death was arrested and my life began. But you see, I didn't start out that way. I started out, as all of us do, a slave to sin. And God gave me new life. He gave me a new identity. I used to be this a slave to sin. Now, I am a child of God. Ultimately, it is not what you do for a living that defines who you are. It is your relationship with God. You are either a child of the enemy or you are a child of God. Those are the only two alternatives. There aren't six different choices. Are you a child of God? Do you know him as your savior? Have you trusted in him? Have you been born again? Have you received new life? I remember when I hadn't. And I was a kid who grew up hearing what I'm telling you now. And I even believed it was true. I believed in Jesus. I believed he died on the cross. I believed he rose again from the dead. But I'd never responded to him as someone who is alive. I learned about him, but I didn't know him. And there came a point in my life when I realized that. When I realized that I've believed these things in my mind, 
but I've never responded to him personally. And let me tell you, your identity is ultimately a matter of relationship with him. Not just beliefs about him. You know who else knows that Jesus is Lord? Satan. He knows it. He knows the Bible's true. He knows that Jesus is God the Son. But that doesn't save the devil. Because his relationship with God is one of rebellion. He does not want to submit, even though he has to. But he's rebelling the whole time inside. He knows that one day he's going to be utterly destroyed. But between now and then, he's doing all he can to get other people to continue in sin. To do things they know they shouldn't do. To not do the things that they know they should do. Ultimately, to not trust him, the Lord, Jesus. So, if you have not trusted Jesus, if you have not asked him to save you, I have very good news for you, and that is whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you ask him to save you, if you know you need to be saved and you ask him to save you, he'll save you. It's not like he's going to say, no, no, not you. No, sorry, not you. Not going to save you. He never says that to anybody. But you have to know that you need to be saved. When I was working as a camp counselor many years ago, before most of your parents were born, I was a camp counselor. And one of the things that we had to learn was how to recognize down at the lakefront when somebody was in trouble. Because sometimes people would start to get in trouble, but they didn't call for help. And we had to discern, are they just having a good time, or are they in distress? But let me tell you, if somebody was calling out for help, we didn't say, ah, they can make it. I think they'll be all right. It was our responsibility to go after them. Jesus has already come after us. He's already done what is necessary for our salvation. But those who are saved are those who know they need to be saved. And ask him. Ask him. He doesn't say, if you'll do these eight things, I'll save you. He says, call to me. Receive me. Trust in me. And if you do that, if you trust in Jesus, you're saved. But if you're saved, you'll be able to tell it. Because you're going to be different. You still look like the same person, but you're not the same person. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Listen to this description of what it looks like to be a new person in Christ. From 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. What's he saying? He's saying that if you are a child of God, you're going to be different from the world. You're going to be swimming upstream, going against the flow, doing things differently. For one thing, you're going to be a person who tells the truth. While the world is full of liars, that's because they are like their father, who is the father of lies. But guess what? God's children are like him. And God always tells the truth. That's why you can always trust his word. You can believe what God says in the Bible. It is true. It's all true. And if you are his child, you're going to become more and more like him. And that means you're going to be careful to be honest, to tell the truth. When the rest of the world is saying, hey, we can get away with it, you're thinking, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? It's not a matter of getting away with something. We're all going to stand before God. What is God's opinion of it? What does God say about that? The Bible says that God's children are holy. Holy? Really? Come on. I don't want to be known as somebody who's holy. Well, that's really sad. Because if you're a child of God, you are holy. Jesus said that those who were his followers are the salt of the earth. But he says if the salt has lost its savor, it's worthless. I don't want my life to be worthless. How about you? But that means we've got to be salty salt. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. And therefore, you're not supposed to hide your light under a container. Because then you're not accomplishing what you were put here for. Who are you? Really? Who do you think you are? Do you believe you're a child of God? I hope that you are. If you're not, I hope that you'll receive him and that you'll become a child of God. Because let me tell you, it's that relationship that lasts forever. Nothing else lasts. I used to have muscles. I used to have fabulous eyesight. I used to have basically total recall, photographic memory. It was really helpful in school. It was really helpful in a lot of things. Now I still have photographic memory, but I'm out of film. I can remember all kinds of things from the past, but where did I put my keys? That's okay, because those aren't the things that define me. 
I'll tell you who I am. I'm a child of God. God, the creator of the universe, is my heavenly father. And he loves me. And I love him. And I'm on my way to his house. And I'm going to be there forever. And I'd really like to see you there. I hope that you're his child too. You can be if you trust in him and ask him to save you. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.